0: As Iyanla Van Zant once said, it's important that we share our experiences with other people. Your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. At Project Sleep, we believe that your stories matter, which is why we train people with sleep disorders on how to share their stories through our Rising Voices program. This Rising Voices podcast series features a variety of firsthand stories from people living with sleep disorders around the world. Each person's story offers unique and important insights. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique, which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep Podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. Okay, so I'm going to introduce Matt, and then he can take it away. Matt Horsnell is a father of three, an amateur strength athlete, and science nerd who incorporates invertebrate fossils into rock sculptures. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He was diagnosed with narcolepsy with cataplexy in 2007, and now as a trained speaker with Project Sleep's Rising Voices of Narcolepsy program, aims to raise awareness about narcolepsy and sleep. So please, please take it away, Matt.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. I appreciate the introduction. And like Julie said, my name is Matt Orsnell, and I'm the world's strongest person having narcolepsy with cataplexy. At least that's what I tell myself every morning when I wake up. So and more on that uh, kind as we get through my story. So I've always had this fascination with science, art, and strength growing up as a kid. And I guess the time when I started to, to notice that I was a little bit different than, than other folks was when I started to spend a lot of time with my peers. And that was in, in Boy Scouts. And I can remember it was when I was about 14. So maybe a couple years into to me experiencing uh, some differences. Uh, I was at Boy Scout camp and uh, just uh, won what was called the, the Baden-Powell Award. So it was for being the best patrol at, at our uh, summer outpost camp. And, you know, it, it was the night after Vespers and we had just won the award and all my friends were going to go out. And, you know, you would think that a, a 14-year-old boy would have, be full of energy and excitement after being the, the patrol leader of the best patrol at camp. All my friends decided to go out and swim to Rock Island, where as I decided to stay in, in, in my tent and sleep because I was exhausted from today's the, the activities. And to be that tired, you know, when all your friends are going out and partying, you know, that was, uh, was kind of one of those stop and think moments that Looking back, I can definitely say, yeah, you know, I, I was a little bit different. My sleep needs were, were, were definitely a little more intense than most people. A couple years later, that's so all. It was about, you know, 14 or 15. Um, it was a little bit after my parents had, had gotten a divorce. I was staying at my, my dad's house and it was, it was really late. I was really, really tired. And, you know, I was, I was walking through his apartment. And and, uh, you know, as, as, I, as I was getting into bed, I had this dead woman fall out of the closet, and she, she landed on top of me, and um, it was terrifying. I, I couldn't breathe. I remember just screaming out, Ugh! and uh, waking up my, my little brother who was next to me, and, uh, you know, he's shaking me, you know, Matt, Matt, wake up. And I could hear him, but I, I couldn't actually move, and it just felt like there was this woman on top of me, and it, it was just an absolute terrifying experience and you know my brother would you know he always accused me of making these smacky noises with my mouth and uh just really getting on his nerves as I was about to go to sleep and, but this this experience just sat with me and it was uh, a, a recurring you know what ended up being a dream that I was having uh it's not something as, as a teenage boy that you're really comfortable talking about uh you don't go to your, your dad or, or your mom and go um you know hey I had this really terrifying experience where a dead woman fell on top of me. That's not something that just comes naturally, and it definitely kind of shaped, you know, my my fear of going to sleep and, you know, so and, you know, moving on, you know that that was something that I, I always kind of worried about right before I would go to sleep. Would, would this woman come back and visit me? Unfortunately, she hadn't come back too much uh, later on in life, but uh, you know those memories will always kind of haunt me. Also, I, I the first time. That I experienced this strange muscle weakness was when I was doing the squat routine. Now, exercise has always been something that that's been very important in my life. Um, about the same time that I actually started experiencing some sleepiness, I started to uh, pick up weight training at home, lifting weights. And so when I was about 18, uh, maybe, tw- maybe 19, I, I was working out at a, at a local gym and I was doing this, this really cool squat routine. It was called super squats. They also go by the name of breathing squats. And it was really, really brutal. You, you also called them breathing squats. You would, you would pick a, a number that you were comfortable doing, about 10 reps, and then you would continue to do one rep after another, uh, breathing deeply in between each rep. And at about rep number 13, um, as I was progressing through this routine, you know, it was 225, 235 pounds. Um, you know, I had the bar on my back and, you know, I, I squatted down into the hole, as they call called it. And my, my knees kind of wobbled. Well, I was able to kind of recover from that and stand back up again. Then I took my, a couple of deep breaths and, you know, I just was like, I got to get through this. You know, this is just this is something, I, you know, let's go. And so I went back down again for that uh, 14th rep and, uh, you know, my knees buckled. And then as I was trying to come back up, I just had this overwhelming sensation of fear that, oh crap, this isn't going to come back up. And and as soon as that fear hit, I just hit the ground like just a ton of bricks. And, you know, fortunately for me at the time, I had a spotter, but I was also on a squat rack. The weight kept crashing down. Everybody stopped. You know, they look. I'm in this puddle of sweat, bruised ego, and just confusion. And, you know, I, I just can't really move. I can, I can kind of see and know what's going on around me. I, I hear my workout partner you know saying you know matt matt are you okay are you okay and um you know it felt like it, you know minutes five minutes but really it was probably closer to, to 30 seconds but i kind of came around i was like yeah yeah, yeah no i just I, I just need a second and uh, so i kind of sat there just you know still kind of trying to wrap my mind around what had happened and at the time I, I really didn't have a way to articulate you know truly what had happened i, I dismissed it as, you know, a blood sugar incident of just having the most righteous uh, squat uh, set of all time. And, uh, you know, I remember my workout partner, his name was Matt, uh, looking at me and going, you know, I I think we're probably done for the day. And all I could say was, yeah, no, let's just go. And so I I went ahead and took the walk of shame out of the gym and just packed it up for another day. That's the important thing about making sure that that when you're lifting, you always have a good spotter, but you also uh, lift safely. You know, I, I knew that uh, I was different, and at the age of 17 is when, you know, the first time that I, I got a diagnosis, and I remember going to my pediatrician explaining to him a lot of the symptoms. I was sleeping a lot, uh, sleeping a lot during class at school, sleeping when we got to school, sleeping taking naps after school. And, and the doctor was uh, pretty convinced that I was dealing with depression. And I remember his recommendation was for me to take a, an antidepressant, but also to, to take some walks and get some exercise. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I am getting exercise and probably getting, you know, more than, than most of my peers. Um, so, but at the same time, I, I didn't have the, the understanding, vocabulary, the confidence to really Say any different, so I went along with you know following doctors' orders. And about age twenty, this is when I was would have been in college. I was officially diagnosed with attention deficit disorder after going through some psychological testing. And again, it was you know my complaint to to the the psychiatrist at the time was you know I'm sleepy, I'm having trouble concentrating. So the the ADD was a diagnosis. Here's some stimulant here's an antidepressant. You probably also are a little bit tired. So, you know, I had gone on to see four different psychiatrists and a pediatrician. Um, you know, the, I kept getting prescribed all these different antidepressants. Nothing was really working for me, you know, and I was really having a tough time articulating, you know, that I was, wasn't sleepy because I was depressed. I was depressed because I was sleepy. And you know which came first. You know both of them kind of were co- going hand in hand, but that sleepiness was was the profound impact in, on, on my life that was affecting everything else. And a couple of years later, I, w- I was talking with my mom, you know, and she mentioned, you know, I knew she had sleep apnea, and she recommended, well, hey Matt, maybe we should go ahead and schedule an appointment for you to see a sleep specialist. And so I went ahead and and made that appointment, thinking full well that. Uh, you know, okay, I probably got sleep apnea. What I found out during that appointment was that this was the initial consult. I remember filling out all the paperwork and the doctor came in and he looked over everything, looked over my sleepiness scale that we all take as people with narcolepsy before we go. And um, I remember him saying, Matt, I think I know what you have. He called in his resident at the time. And he was like, you know, I think you may have a Sleep disorder called narcolepsy. We need to run some extra tests to to figure this out. And, um, you know, I can remember, you know, my doctor saying those words, and it just not really, I mean, I I heard him say it, but I was like, yeah, what, what does he know? This is no, this isn't what I've seen before. I'd studied, you know, sleep disorders and narcolepsy in high school and my psychology class, and even in my abnormal psychology class in college. And it's just what it didn't jive with what what I knew. And it also didn't jive with what I knew from Hollywood and from, uh, you know, the mainstream uh, television and and movies. You know, I didn't just, I wasn't just falling asleep left and right. Well, certainly I was taking a lot of naps, you know, so I went and started to do some research. And uh, after that, and before my sleep study, and, uh, you know, I I realized, well, you know, no, actually, there may be some truth to what you're saying. So, turns out that narcolepsy affects about 1 in 2,000 people. That's about how many people have the condition. That's not how many people have been diagnosed, and more on that later. In order to get a proper diagnosis with narcolepsy, there's a test. But the, the main symptoms that you experience with narcolepsy are excessive daytime sleepiness, which, you know, I had that was uh, what I was describing, you know, with Boy Scouts was that profound uh, daytime sleepiness as well interfered with me during my schoolwork. It's this feeling as if you haven't slept for like 48 to 72 hours. So it's not just your normal, hey, I'm tired because I haven't slept well. This is a, you know, a very sometimes debilitating, overwhelming feeling that, that you struggle with that can, can really affect your quality of life in so many ways. That's one symptom that everybody with narcolepsy experiences, a symptom that only a portion of people with narcolepsy experience, that's cataplexy, and that is an involuntary loss of muscle tone that comes on quite suddenly, um, don't really know that it's about to happen. For me, you know, that first time I experienced full body cataplexy episode was when I was in the gym, and that was what, what had happened when I was squatting, the, the fear caught up with me. And before I knew it, you know, I was just on the ground. I was still conscious. I was still aware, but I couldn't move. And it, it can be a very, very, very frightening experience when it happens. It can also happen in, in partial ways. And so that's where you have a case of slack jaw, um, maybe some slurred speech, some dropsies with the hand. Um, you know, those are all some knee buckling that happens quite a bit. So it can happen in in partial ways in addition to the full body episodes. The hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations, those are uh, visual, auditory, and tactile disturbances that happen before sleep. That's the hypnagogic, and then the hypnopompic are are, are as you're getting out of sleep. So it's kind of a blurring of the transition between being awake and dreaming and Vice versa, and it feels like you are actually experiencing what what was taking place. And the first time it happens, you know, it it, it can be very, very overwhelming. A lot of times, people they think there's an intruder in their house. Some people have it. It can be as minor as just seeing, you know, like I sometimes will see a rabbit. Uh, I know there's not really a rabbit there. I'll also hear noises. I hear people talking in another room. So you know, those are all examples of hallucinations that you can feel. Um, The sleep paralysis is what will sometimes occur after, you know, in conjunction with the hallucination for me, it many times it does, but it's where you basically are awake, but your body can't move. And so that's the, during that transition out of the sleep state, your mind turns on and your body doesn't. So, you know, for me, I can hear the alarm going off. You know, I want to move, I want to get up, but there's just no movement. And uh, usually, it's a little bit less time than it actually feels. But it, you know, when you're when you're stuck in that moment, time does kind of stand still. And that uh, the final symptom is the disrupted nighttime sleep. And one thing that a lot of people don't understand about narcolepsy is that you know we we can't just sleep whenever we want to. You know, we're not you know fall over and go to sleep. We experience temporary bouts of insomnia. Like the rest of the population, we struggle at night. That disrupted nighttime sleep sleep ends up feeding that excessive daytime sleepiness, and that's one thing that they study when when they're looking at that, that sleep test. There's two primary types of narcolepsy, two, I guess, only types of narcolepsy. Narcolepsy with cataplexy and narcolepsy without cataplexy. Now, narcolepsy with cataplexy is associated with a loss of hypocretin cells in your brain, and narcolepsy without cataplexy research doesn't really hasn't really shown there's not as much understanding about it. But you know, either way, they're both struggles that people deal with and can have a profound impact on your life. Um, next slide, please. And I've kind of alluded to this a uh, little bit. There's a sleep test involved for diagnosis. There's two suit tests that uh, we, we work with here in the United States. There's a which is an overnight sleep test they're looking at a whole lot of different factors. This is a test that you use to identify sleep apnea as well. And if you show up with either mild clinically insignificant sleep apnea or no sleep apnea, but you still show some sleep issues, they'll, they'll ask you to come back for a multi sleep latency test the next day. And that's a, that's a series of five naps that takes place over the course of the day. They're, they're testing for a couple of different things they want to see if you go to sleep during these 20-minute naps and also how quickly you are going into dream sleep. In my test, I went to sleep in all five naps, and I went into REM sleep into three of those naps um, once within, you know, was under a minute. I'm not quite sure the exact time, but, you know, when the doctor told me I had to take a sleep test, you know, my my first thought was, oh, I'm ready for this. You know, this is something I've been studying for my whole life. So I guess you could say I aced it, but uh, at the same time, I can still remember, you know, I, I went through, I went, got all these tests, the doctor sat down, he showed me some of the results and he said he was going to look through that sleep latency test and give me a call just to confirm everything. And yeah, I can remember receiving that call. I was actually at the same gym where my cataplexy episode had taken place and and I was standing there and I just remember time just stopping, standing still and you know, hearing the words, you know, Matt, you know, you definitely have narcolepsy with cataplexy. I remember he went on to say a whole bunch of other things, but I just stopped and just you know, it took me a minute to soak in, you know, what that meant for me as a person. It's something that I that I've still kind of struggled to wrap my mind around. You know, as far as treatment goes for people with narcolepsy, there is no cure. You know, that's something that we we all hope for one day down the road. But for right now, we treat the symptoms and there's a couple of different ways to to do that. Wake promoters or stimulants for daytime sleepiness. Uh, those help address, you know, that that sense of tired and sense of fatigue. Again, you're taking the medication, but that's not necessarily going to keep you awake. There are some nighttime medications for uh, the day, that help with the daytime sleepiness and the cataplexy in particular. Those put you into a, a very deep sleep that allows your body to go into the stage four and stage five sleep that we are. So, desperately craving throughout the day, and that alleviates the daytime sleepiness and cataplexy symptoms throughout the day. There's also some antidepressants for cataplexy. Now, when I was going through my journey to diagnosis, I was prescribed a number of different antidepressants, and those masked some of the cataplexy symptoms that I was experiencing. And so, I I didn't have a true appreciation until I was actually taken off of some of those of, of what cataplexy can feel like throughout the day. So that just is another reason why awareness is, is really, really key. Scheduled daytime naps is, you know, something that for me is just critical for me to function. And, you know, I've adopted pretty much my, my life philosophy is take a nap and play. You know, I love to work out and, uh, you know, I love to take those naps. And it's just part of who I am. And, you know, the other critical thing for me is my support network. You know, my, my online support network, my counseling, my family, my friends, those are a big part of my treatment as well. And I can't do without any of these components. You know, it, it all helps to, to shape and mold my quality of life. Life with narcolepsy, for me, the biggest challenge but source of greatest joy in my life is parenting with narcolepsy. And I'm blessed to have uh, three wonderful kids, two daughters, Michaela and Rachel. Michaela's 15, Rachel's 13, and then my son, Caden, who's seven. They really just helped me and have helped me get through so much. Sometimes I struggle with a reason to want to get out of bed. So to be the primary care parent for my three rascals is just critical for a motivator for me to get going every day. And I just wanted to know. How important they are in my life because uh, without them, you know, I wouldn't be here. So, you know, they're just uh, they are that special to me. My mental health plays a big factor. You know, the depression, you know, it feeds into everything, and so making sure that not alone in this is key. And and part of that for me is my online support groups that I do with Wake Up Narcolepsy. I participate in those on a weekly basis. They they form a huge foundation for support for me. Um, I get to see friends and people who who fill me up. They're positive uh, people in my life. You know, I've had some really, really challenging experiences, but those friends that, I, that I've developed in those support groups, they have really helped shape my mental health. My sleep health is another thing that's really been important for me. I had to go back and get another sleep study done, and this is something that not everybody has to do, but my medication wasn't really that effective. I was having a whole lot of trouble in my my personal life. I, I was really kind of down and depressed. And what we found was that the clinically insignificant sleep apnea that was discovered in my 2007 sleep study when I was 25 had developed into you know very significant obstructive sleep apnea. By the time I was this was seven years later. So, I was in my early 30s, and that sleep apnea had contributed to some weight gain. And, you know, I wasn't really at my healthiest. I was still kind of working out at that time. And so, it's, it's really, really important. One thing that's been particularly helpful for me in my physical health has been, to in my mental health has been, you know, my exercise, but also my creative outlet. And that for me is my sculptures that I've created. I create um, these anthropomorphic you know creations so you know creations that you know imitate life and I also am a big advocate I work with Project Sleep I've gone to um, Washington and I continue to advocate for advances in sleep research and sleep disorder research and um, I've also done a little bit of speaking out with uh, no narcolepsy Part of uh, you know my life has been, you know, like I said, I'm the world's strongest person having narcolepsy with cataplexy. And in 2008, so this was about a year after I'd been diagnosed, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Bill Kazmaier. Uh, he's the world's strongest man in I think it's 81, 83, and 84, um, and he was speaking at, at a local YMCA. I got to work out. He was showing us some of the equipment that he was promoting, I got to work out alongside him. Uh, just listened to him. He pulled a bus in front of the, uh, the building that we were staying at. And, and at that point, I decided that, uh, you know, I may have this uh, condition that makes me weak, but that doesn't mean that I can't be strong. And so that's when this whole concept of being the world's strongest person, having narcolepsy or cataplexy, was really kind of — that's the origin of that story. It's not about. Literally being the world's strongest person, although sometimes I, I do think that I am. Um, but it's about the, the strength that it takes to get out of bed every day, um, so that I can spend time being a dad with my kids. You know, I've been through through quite a bit in, in life stuff that would take way too long for any sort of presentation. I've I've survived a flood in twenty ten, gone through um, you know a, a separation and a divorce you know, and, and I've had to kind of reinvent myself. You know, I wasn't always an outspoken advocate for living with narcolepsy. Um, that's something that I, that I chose to do. And that was when I was really at my lowest point during my separation. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to make this condition that had been kicking my butt for so long, I wanted to make it work for me. And, you know, I wanted to use it to to better myself and to, to better the world. And I figured the, the way to do that was to reach out. And so, you know, I just started being online, making uh, presents uh, through social media. I reached out to Julie uh, through Twitter at the time and started uh, pestering her with uh, posts, and she responded and started with in chat with my Kyle on Twitter as well. And that was the, the beginning of, of a huge change in my life of, learning to take control of my condition and, you know, taking ownership of it and learning that I can use it to, to make a better me. You know, it doesn't have to be a negative. Um, it can be a positive. It's been a positive in my life. You know, it's definitely the biggest struggle that I have to deal with, but it's also the source of my strength as well. So, you know, I've got a lot left to accomplish. I want to continue to be a patient advocate I use my weightlifting as a way to connect with other people and to uh, be a an advocate, kind of on a grassroots uh, one-on-one approach. You can make a difference in the world just by connecting with one person at a time. These are great opportunities to connect with large groups of people. Being a rising voices in narcolepsy speaker gives me a chance to connect with dozens, if not you know, hundreds of people. But that one-on-one connection that you make that you can make every day you know when you have a chance to, to see people on a daily basis and you can discuss your symptoms how life has impacted you those are the experiences that people carry with them forever they'll go okay i know somebody i know matt from the gym he has narcolepsy he's the world's strongest person with narcolepsy and cataplexy i don't know what that means but he's sleepy a lot but he still does awesome things and a project sleep uh volunteer. I want to continue to do that to uh, raise money, uh, resources, and uh, continue to be an advocate in, in the legislative world as well. So that's what I've got in store for my future. And you know, the big reason that we're, we're doing this with Rising Voice is that the average time between symptoms and diagnosis is 8 to 15 years. And so that's, that's kind of right with how long I, it took for me, I was about 12, 13 years between my symptom onset diagnosis, and that's just way too long. If we can reduce that time, and, and the goal of Project Sleep, it's ambitious, is to reduce it down to, to two years, but you know, every year that we take, every year we get closer to that goal is, is more time that somebody has to process life and to, and to live life to their best possible life that they can. Treatments are available knowing that they're not alone, you know, and that there's a supportive environment. Right now, it's the best time to be diagnosed with narcolepsy ever. I mean, not that there's ever a good time, but with medical advances, with, with social media, the ability to stay connected, all of these, a lot of these things that, that weren't available when I was diagnosed, they're available now. And so it's, it's our time to kind of, to make strides reducing that time. And under 50% of people with this condition are currently diagnosed. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who are out there living undiagnosed. So, for if my my story helps one person become diagnosed quicker, or to, or to make that connection, you know, it makes my experience all worthwhile. And so, that's what we do, and that's why we do it. Rising Voices is a chance for any person with narcolepsy to go out and to share their story, to develop their story. Either you don't have to to be a speaker, you don't have to get up in front of other people. You can choose to write. There's a writing portion, but it's just your chance to share your story. And every story is valuable. It's the one-on-one stories that make a difference. Um, Statistics only tell a fraction of the story. It's that personal connection that you make with doctors and you make with other people in the community that are going to help us reach our goals. And so with that, I will kind of turn it back over to Julie. Hey, Matt! Thank you, Julie.
0: Oh, wow. Great, great job tonight. I hope you feel so
1: super proud. I, I do. I feel great. You know, each time I do this, it grows a little bit. I, there's more confidence. Um,
0: you get funnier and, and funnier.
1: I think so. I think so. You know, according to my mom, I also get a little bit more handsome every time I tell this story. <laughs> so, you know, there's that too.
0: Shout out to Matt's mom.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she's always said I was special.
0: Definitely special. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about what your kids mean to you. Well, you had me in tears. Uh, that was just really, really touching. And I was wondering if you like, you know, I always think it's interesting when kids, like how did the interactions go with your kids? Like, did they always know that you had narcolepsy? When do you introduce it? When do you talk about it? Or how has that experience been?
1: I've never really shied away from, from explaining to them that, you know, daddy is a little bit different when it comes to sleep. You know, my, my diagnosis was, when they were so little, so they've, you know, they've known and I've known about it the whole time. It kind of just gradually went from, you know, daddy needs extra sleep, you know, trying to explain that to the girls, to daddy has a sleep disorder. They know the terminology, they know what I go through better than anybody on the planet. They, they see my day to day struggles and they're tremendous. They're in an age now where they're super helpful and supportive around the house. You know, Rachel is my alarm clock. So when we have this uh, thing called school, she comes in and, says, Dad, Dad, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And uh, she's great about helping me get up. Caden is, he's seven. His awareness is growing. He, you know, looked at me the other day and says, Well, Daddy, you sleep a lot. Yes, you know, I, I do, Caden. Um, and uh, he goes, Well, it's not like a bad thing. He said, You do a great job of like playing with me, but sometimes, you know, I have to wake you up. And, I, and that's something that I, you know, I had to talk to him the other day. It's daddy needs some extra naps, but also if you need daddy time, you know, you're the most important thing in the world so we can get through this together. And so making sure that I go outside with them and, and spend time with them, that's, that's really key. But they're tremendous little helpers and uh, my, my girls help watch Caden, you know, so I can take a nap and uh, they're, they're super helpful.
0: That is awesome to hear. Let's see. Okay. We do have a question from Sheila. Mm-hmm. Do you ever uh, get breakthrough cataplexy with exercise? Mm-hmm. In other words, she says, I think I, I have a limit of exercise time and then I crash.
1: Yes. That's, uh, that's a great question. I do have to, to be con- conscious about that. I still you know, squat you know, in a squat rack and I do choose exercises that you know, I know I can bail on if I needed to. I've become more cognizant and more aware of what limits those are and when I'm pushing too close to those limits, and I can kind of pull back. I'll also, I try to schedule my workouts during the time when I have the most spoons left, if you follow spoon theory, so that I, I can get my workouts in. Immediately following my workouts, I usually do take a 15 minute nap to kind of to, to refresh, but there's been many times in the gym when I've just had to say, you know what, today is not. The day that I'm going to be picking up the heaviest things, I'm going to kind of reel it in a little bit. So, yes, Sheila, you know, I, I do have still experienced that on occasion. My cataplexy tends to be the most impactful later on as my stimulant medication is wearing off at, at nighttime. That's when it, it picks up because my emotions are a little bit more on the surface. So, that's when I, I experience the most interruption with cataplexy. The, the sword speech is the, the big one that I deal with. The, the dropsies with the hand and, and, the, and the knee buckling are things that, that I experience the most.
0: Yeah, that's similar to my experience, too. I'd say my cataplexy is worse at night, so mm. you work out late at night, late, late. But yeah, great description, Matt. We have a question from Eilish. I love the sculptures. Do you ever sculpt things from your dreams, like characters, etc.?
1: I use them for inspiration. There are, uh, some of my, my stuff is pretty dark. Um, and, you know, I do find that my creativity flows so much better to work on these sculptures at, at nighttime. And so, you know, there's been times when I wake up and I can't sleep. I'll get up and I'll, I'll actually start assembling some of the, the sculptures together. And it just seems like the, the creative process is a little bit more seamless. During that time, I don't overthink and or overanalyze things. I'm just like, yeah, it looks like an eye. That, goes, that goes there. It's, it's a, a long process to, to work on a, on a piece.
0: I had a question, if I could read my writing. You gave, I think it was your first Rising Voices presentation to
1: pharmacy students. Yeah, it was a, a busy week for me because I also spoke to a pharmaceutical company like two days afterwards. And so... That was that was a busy time, but that was that was a great speech. I spoke to Belmont's College of Pharmacy. I spoke to about thirty-five of their uh, first and second-year students. And one of the reasons that I, I chose to speak to uh, pharmacy students is because that's who me as a as a I guess you call it a patient a person with dark I That's who I have most interaction with in the medical community. I see them uh, multiple times per month versus you know just once every every six weeks or so. And so for me to make sure that they know what it's like living with narcolepsy. Yeah, that was really important. I had worked in a pharmacy when I was early in college and that was actually when I met my first person with narcolepsy. Kind of ironic, I didn't actually know at the time that I would end up, you know, being on the other side of of the counter but I remember him coming in and, you know, having a prescription for uh, a stimulant dose that just seemed like high and I remember asking the pharmacist gosh, is this, is this okay? And it's like, well, no, this is what, you know, a lot of people with narcolepsy need to to function. And, you know, I just thought, well, yeah, that's okay. But going to see pharmacists, it's important that they have a you have a connection with them because they need to know what's going on in your life. The medication that you're taking is medically necessary for you to function. And uh, so for me, reaching uh, young people who are still, you know, learning and about- uh, this. That, that was really important.
0: That's awesome. I just wanted to say that I am not sure about this. You're the strongest person. I mean, I got some muscles. Yeah, you do have some guns. And not to like flatter him, but I will um, because it's true. I think Matt has the most persistence of anyone I've come across. He is so persistent in his way that he shows up for this community, for other people, and I think that is a a form of strength that shines through so brightly. So I'm so so much for your efforts um, as a patient advocate and as a speaker and just everything you do for this community and people individually. So if you guys don't follow Matt, he's on Twitter, he's on Instagram, so make sure you follow him. So we have from Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly says, Can you talk a little bit about how you deal with health insurance and support of your kids?
1: Okay, that's a great question. Um, for me, I am, you know, I only work part time. Well, I, that was before everything happened, but I'm blessed to live in a state that does have a fairly good Medicaid program. It's called TimCare, and they provide uh, coverage for minors. Who don't have it, and also for people who are considered uninsurable and who fall below a certain income category. And so I meet those qualifications. You know, it's limited in terms of the number of prescriptions I can get per month. And, you know, I do have to at times jump through a little more hoops, um, but I'm very blessed to have that. And, you know, that's just the importance of making sure that, you know, this is going to be me stepping on my uh, political box here for a minute, the importance of, of having, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, and government assistance for insurance. Like I said, it's, it's because I live in Tennessee that um, I think that, that we have such a, a, a decent program. Not every state has such an advanced Medicaid program, but uh, that's the answer to that question. Thank it you. would be a struggle otherwise.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think that's just really important to for people to know about um, because you just it helps to put a face to the people that are on programs like that. And yeah, I just um, thank you for sharing well, that. You, Kimberly, for asking yeah, that. Yeah,
1: and it's yeah, and it's something that uh, for a while I was a little bit hesitant to to disclose, but it's you know it's important that people know that you know these programs they they help out. Real people, and you know, my kids are are beneficiaries. I'm a beneficiary of this, and you know, these social programs are are, are critically important.
0: Well, thank you, Matt. So I think we are going to go ahead and say good night. But uh, Matt, did you have anything you wanted to say? You
1: no, know, just thank you so much to um, everybody who's a part of my uh, support network, all the people from Project Sleep and from Wake Up Narcolepsy and my Narcolepsy Network friends you guys just keep me going and uh, you know don't be afraid to follow me on instagram i expect to have at least four new followers on instagram after this we'll see uh but uh, no everybody's great and uh, thank you so much for just this platform for what you do julie and it, rising voices i i can't speak highly enough of it it's the way to go
0: awesome thanks everyone thanks matt good night Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.